Are you guys ready to see a breakthrough? Okay, that was kind of weak. Are you ready to see a breakthrough? We're, we're going to spend 10 weeks looking at the book of the Bible that talks more about wisdom than any other book because we believe that God can help us break through some stuff in our lives. Now, I don't, don't ever get us wrong that we're not saying that uh, because we read one proverb and we change one little thing, all of our circumstances and situations are going to be all cheery and rosy tomorrow. That's not what the Bible says. However, we do believe God can change our circumstances and our situations. But what we also believe is that God changes us from the inside out, that he can change some stuff in us, that we can see some breakthroughs in our lives where we've been stuck, maybe with decision-making, maybe with uh, poor choices, maybe in relationships, or you feel stuck with your work or at home or whatever it might be. We believe that God can help us break through. And it may not look exactly like we thought at first, but we believe in that. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And I just love this book. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. There's something just incredibly mystical about a book that was written in, 1500, or in 1000 B.C. And I read it and I'm like, it sounds like somebody wrote that about my life yesterday. <laughs> you know, because it rings so true to us. And that's the beauty of God's word. So every culture has its own Proverbs. I mean, you know this. Every family has its own Proverbs. Your mom probably had a goofy little proverb that she made up and she used to always say. But it goes way back. In fact, we have written Proverbs that were written in 2500 B.C. So 1500 years before Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs that we have in our Bibles. Proverbs was already a normal kind of a, a literary style. Uh, we read Proverbs from Egypt and Ethiopia that date all the way back to 2500 BC. It's kind of amazing. And many of the Greek philosophers, you know, uh, like Homer's words were turned into Proverbs. Confucius said many ancient Chinese Proverbs that we hear about. And you know who's given us more English spoken Proverbs than anybody? Anybody got a guess? Shakespeare. Shakespeare did. So Shakespeare said things like, um, a, a foolish man thinks he's wise, but a wise man thinks he's foolish. All kinds of proverbs that show up in his writing that we still say today. But So let me just give you a definition of proverbs. And don't write this first one down. We'll get to the one I want you to write down. But kind of a basic definition of like any proverb that could have come from anywhere would be a short phrase that conveys a nugget of common sense a summary of practical experience, or a rule of conduct. But when we look at biblical Proverbs, we got to elevate that definition a little bit because we're not just talking about uh, mama's wisdom. We're talking about something that God said to us, that spoke to us. So here, here's the definition of Proverbs that I want us to work with. A proverb is a general truth derived from God's wisdom. A general truth derived from God's wisdom. Now understand this as well that when, when the first readers read Proverbs and anyone who's done their, their homework with understanding how we read the Bible and how we read different genres of the Bible, we understand that general truth principle. So a proverb is not meant to be a truth that is true of all times and all situations and all places. There's other writings in the Bible that are that way. You know, the command, love the Lord your God, that's true anytime, any place, anywhere. But the Proverbs are not meant to be read that way. I mean, we could all agree on, you know, I don't know where this proverb came from, but an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's a great little proverb, right? Because if you eat healthy, you don't have to go to the doctor as much. However, you could fall out of the tree picking the apple and still need to go to the doctor for your broken arm, right? 
that could happen. Does that mean that proverb is foolish and stupid and we shouldn't say it? No, it has its place, right? But it's, it's directing us towards wise living. So when the proverb said, um, uh, uh, he who raises their child in the Lord uh, or instructs your child in the way of the Lord and in the Lord he will go, does that mean that's true of all parenting and all children in all time and place? No, because you know some parents who have raised their child, instructed their child in the way of the Lord, and that child chose to go away from the Lord. Does that mean that Proverbs is not true? No. Does it mean we shouldn't read that proverb? No, because that proverb is instructional. It's saying, hey, parents, this is how you should raise your kids. This is the best chance you can give them. So we need to understand Proverbs for what they are. It doesn't diminish God's word. It just helps us understand. It actually lifts it up because that's the way God wrote it for us. We're supposed to read it that way. That's just understanding what Proverbs is, okay? So what we want to do over the next 10 weeks is to invite you to do what very few people are doing. I mean, in our culture, people are pursuing fame or good looks or uh, comfort and security or riches. And I just don't know how many, I don't know how many times you've heard it, but when have you heard somebody say, man, what we really need to do is pursue wisdom. That's what we're after. 10 weeks. Let's just pursue wisdom with everything we've got. And hopefully it will become a rhythm of our life that we keep on pursuing wisdom beyond that. But we want to invite you to do what very few people do. But what God says is so important, pursue godly wisdom. So with that said, let's look at the first verses of Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs, Proverbs of Solomon, son of David king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Here's the key verse here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That phrase, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, bookends the entire book. You go to chapter 31, uh, some of the closing verses there, you see that same kind of phrase. So uh, if we look at Proverbs, we see this kind of umbrella phrase of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want wisdom? Pursue God. Look to him. And when you hear that fear of the Lord, don't translate that in your heads as like trembling and running away from God because you're so scared. In Proverbs, the idea of the fear of the Lord is this a solemn faith. And if you have a faith in that kind of fear of the Lord, you actually don't have to be afraid of anything else. It's a beautiful way to live. So we're after breakthroughs here because a lot of us feel stuck. We feel stuck in so many places in life. But Proverbs helps us first look on the inside of us. And there's a quote you're going to hear a few times that I want to read to you from Erwin McManus. It says this. He said this. Work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competencies. Work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competencies. Like we get used to like, I need to get better at this. I need to get better at this. I need to get better at this. All of these like skill sets. And what he's saying, and I believe the wisdom of Proverbs is, yeah, work on all that stuff is good, but work on your character first. Work on how you treat people, how you speak, how you think. Uh, work on the heart kind of things, integrity. 
So today's question, and each week we're going to address a question, and this one is this. Are you stuck in despair? And maybe you're not feeling despair, I, I, and praise God for that. But this can be wisdom for you in helping others. It can be wisdom for you when you get to despair. It can be lots of different things. But maybe you're here today and you're like, yep, that's me. I'm despairing lots of things in my life. So each week we're going to tell a story that's somewhere else in the Bible that connects to the wisdom of Proverbs. And today I'm going to tell you the story of Joseph in just a couple minutes. So this is going to be kind of the Reader's Digest version here. It's going to be pretty quick. So you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of boys. The youngest at the time was Joseph. He'd later have a younger brother named Benjamin. And Jacob did the same dumb thing that his dad had done, and he kind of picked favorites. And he picked Joseph as his favorite. And uh, he gave Joseph a famous coat. You could even call it a Technicolor dream coat, right? The coat of many colors. And Joseph had these dreams about how he was better than his brothers. And the only stupid thing we ever read about Joseph in the whole narrative of his life is when he goes and kind of brags to his brothers. I think that was a pretty dumb thing to do, and it gets him in a lot of trouble. Uh, he didn't deserve what he got, but his brothers are thinking about killing him, and they end up faking his death and telling their dad Joseph is dead, but they sell him into slavery to, to Egypt. So Joseph actually becomes a victim of human trafficking, of, of the slave trade. Can you imagine the, the despair and being marched off from your family, your own brothers betraying you and wondering what in the world is my life going to be like? How much abuse will I incur? And just the trauma of that. So he goes off into slavery in Egypt, but God kind of blesses everything he touches and he proves his worth and he kind of starts quickly climbing the ladder and he begins serving Potiphar, who's a high-ranking official in Egypt, and Joseph becomes his right-hand man. And the text says that Potiphar kind of entrusted everything to Joseph, the household affairs, the, the work that he was doing in the field. And Joseph is just hitting home runs everywhere. And the text also tells us that Joseph was pretty handsome and he was well-built. And Potiphar's wife noticed. And she begins flirting with him. The text tells us day after day after day she was pursuing him. And he's saying, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that because of God. I can't do that because I work for your husband. And one day, she says, come to bed with me. And she lunges at him, grabs at him. He runs, and he, he runs out of there, which, by the way, when sexual sin comes near, run for your life. And he does the right thing. She's left holding his coat and then claims it was he who assaulted her, and he gets thrown in prison. So now he's back thinking, Good night. Can I catch a break? <laughs> and he's in prison for two years. But again, uh, God blesses him in, in that awful place, and he begins working for the warden even while he's a prisoner because the warden trusts him with everything. And he meets some people there, and one of those people ends up working for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has this uh, crazy dream, and nobody can tell him what the dream means. And one of these guys says, hey, there's somebody in prison you should meet. And so they clean up Joseph, and they bring him out to Pharaoh. And, and Pharaoh says, can you tell me the dream? And Joseph says, I can't, but God can. And he tells him the dream. He says, yeah, there's going to be a terrible famine. 
and you better start saving up all of the, all of the food and start storing it away because when the famine comes, uh, there will be no food if we don't save it all up. And Pharaoh says, I think you're right. I see it coming. We need someone to head this project. How about you? And so he puts him in charge. He becomes second in command. I mean, he has all of this power and authority. And when the famine does hit, all of the world comes to Egypt to buy grain, including Joseph's own family. His brothers show up. And at that moment, if this was a movie, we're going to see like vengeance and Joseph really pounds him and that's not what Joseph does. You got to read the whole story and I put it on the sermon page. I hope you can read it this week, but he actually offers forgiveness and not just forgiveness, but provision. And there's several things that happen, but he ends up bringing his family to Egypt and looks after them and cares for them and gives them a place to live and to take care of them and is kind to them. And his brothers are scared to death several times that Joseph is just going to kill them, that the forgiveness is going to run out because they're feeling so guilty, rightly so. But Joseph just keeps offering forgiveness and kindness to them. It's the most incredible situation because Joseph, of all the people you could ever read about, could have and should have and probably at times did feel despair. And God did not always immediately lift him out of the situation, but somehow God lifted him so he wasn't stuck in despair his whole life. Because when you're stuck in despair, you do mean things to people. And you can't think with wisdom. And you can't do good things when you're just stuck, 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 stuck forever, forever. And somehow Joseph overcomes that. God overcomes that in him. It's really remarkable. And so I want to point out and just teach you three big things that we see from this text. We see from the book of Proverbs and from Scripture that I think are just things that you can write down today and pray about them. That if you feel stuck in despair, I want to just offer you three words of wisdom here. The first is this. Trust God in the turmoil. In other words, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up persevere, hang on, do not grow weary. You read Revelation, and that's the story. You read 1 Peter, that's the story. You read a lot through the entire scripture. You just see, don't give up, don't give up, hang on. Persevere. Believe that God is still good, even when you feel turmoil. Embrace the buildup before the breakthrough. If any of you have ever worked out really hard, you know that the coach or the trainer a uh, PE teacher, whoever, will tell you that you need to work out so hard that you're uncomfortable, that you feel a little bit sore later on. Why would you want to feel sore? Because that means your muscles have broken down a little bit. Because the only way for your muscles to grow up bigger and stronger is for you to break them down first, right? But you break them down a little bit, and then you fuel, fuel yourself, and they grow a little bit stronger. And that's what God does with lots of his people. Just read through the scriptures, and there's so many people who are broken down and broken down and broken down, and yet they don't give up. They trust God in the turmoil, and God uses those kinds of people to change the world over and over and over again because he's grown them strong in their trust in him. Now, they may, they may feel broken in a hundred different ways, but their trust is in the Lord, and God uses them to change the world. So the question is, how can I hang on? How can I hang on? We trust God in the turmoil. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Could you be fruitful in the land of your suffering? If you feel in distress today, in despair today, how can God still help you be fruitful? 
and to still be wise and to still cling to him. God is in the business of using broken people to change the world, so don't break faith. Don't you dare break faith before the breakthrough, before God comes to you and shows you here's why. And you may not even know until the next life all that God was doing in your life now, but we trust God in the turmoil. Second thing, we invite God's wisdom. We invite God's wisdom. Joseph was uh, in charge of Potiphar's work, and 39 verse 6 says um, that the blessing of the Lord was on everything, both in the household and in the field. It was like whatever Joseph did, he did with wisdom, and how he stored the grain, and how he, he managed the people that worked for him. When he was in prison, he was wise. When Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him, he was wise. We just see wisdom, 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 all throughout his life. So we need to invite God's wisdom. And, and Joseph demonstrated this in a gazillion different ways. And then when Pharaoh says, who can help me? Can you help me? tell me what this dream means? Again, wisdom. Joseph says, no, I can't. But God can. So what do you think Joseph did? God, please give me wisdom. Please help me out here. I can't do this. So when it, what we need to do in this moment of, in these moments daily of asking God for wisdom is saying, I cannot do it, but God will. I do not know, but God does. I can't face another day by myself, but I can face one with God leading me. I do not have the wisdom I need, but God will give it. I mean, our, our culture keeps telling us, look within. If you actually listen to, to a lot of music and it really hasn't changed, it's been the same for years, um, lots of big songs at the end of the day are saying, trust in yourself. Just kind of get within yourself. You'll find the answers from within. And I want to tell you, if that was true, you would have already found the answers. We'd all be fine because we would have just listened to ourselves. And God says, uh-uh, listen to me. The reason you're in all the trouble you're in is because you listen to yourselves, earthlings. <laughs> Trust in me. Try the wisdom that, that spans generations and centuries and eternity. But ask me for wisdom. James 1.5 says this. Listen carefully to these words. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Did you hear that? Anybody here feel like they lack wisdom? Am I the only one? So what do we do? We ask, and God says, I'll be generous with you. Isn't that beautiful? That the God of the universe will give you wisdom if you ask. So are you asking for wisdom? Wow, what a beautiful opportunity for us and what a huge waste if we're not. So we trust God in the turmoil. And then we seek wisdom, invite God's wisdom. And the third thing is we invite others into our life. Invite others into your life. When we face despair, what do we often do? We isolate, right? Anybody else tempted to do that? Something goes wrong and you just kind of shut down and you don't talk to anybody. Yeah, I get it. Sometimes you need to go for a walk. Sometimes you need some solitude. But solitude is different than isolation. Solitude is planned. I want to listen to God. I want to gain his wisdom and be with him. Isolation is everybody stay away from me. I want to be by myself. I want to just do this on my own. Maybe I've been wounded so badly that I don't want to trust anybody else. 
And you know this when you see it in your friends. And your friends know it when they see, see it in you. It's not healthy to be in isolation. In fact, if you want wisdom in your life, you'll find this balance of solitude and community. We, ha- we need solitude for, for times, but then we need community because, because God, if other people have been asking for wisdom, God's been giving it to them. Don't we want to learn from them too? In fact, the book of Proverbs, we read um, Solomon was catching wisdom from all kinds of places. Some people who maybe weren't even believers had stumbled upon some wisdom that he seems to quote. We read later on in the book. So he was picking it up from different cultures and different places. And we want to open ourselves to what people can teach teach us and run it through the filter of the scripture of God's word and say, okay, God, do you want to teach me in this? And God will. He'll give us wisdom. But we need to invite other people in, invite people who are wise to speak into us, invite people who are godly to speak into us, but also to realize that we can speak into other people. We can encourage other people by listening and caring and offering advice or just doing, uh, helping them in their lives. We can give wisdom back to them. In chapter 47, it says, Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all of his father's household with food according to the number of their children. So Joseph even invited back into his life his rotten, traitorous, dysfunctional, good-for-nothing family, right? He invited them back into his life, and that's not all. Chapter 41 says, all the world came to Egypt. In a way, Joseph invited the entire world. He showed hospitality to the whole world, saying, come here if you need some help. We're going to help you. You're not going to starve. Come here. We have grain saved for you. And you need people to walk with you in despair. And also catch this. People in despair need you. One of the dangers of being in despair and stuck there and just stuck, stuck, stuck forever is that we become so obsessed with trying to get ourselves out of despair that we forget that our neighbor is having troubles too. And we don't care for the people around us. And we become self-absorbed. And so God calls us to part of the way that we break through here is we still care for other people. We still love other people. And it's so easy to forget what, what God wants to do in us and through us with others. There's this incredible verse in Proverbs 24 that challenges some of the way that we do life at least in this part of the country, I think, and probably in any place. But it's, it's a call to care for others as family. Listen to this proverb. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what he has done? And it goes on in chapter 27 to say, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. For better is a neighborly nearby than a brother far away. Interesting. So in your day of trouble, you want to have family and a church family that treats each other like family. So if, you're, if your only blood sibling lives on the other side of the earth, you don't have to go to them for someone to care for you. But we care for each other as church. And the New Testament then brings us to a whole new level that, that uh, as God is our Father, we are all brothers and sisters and we should care for each other like that. 
And if you know someone is walking towards disaster, you got to do everything you can to pull them back, to rescue them, to care for them. And God says, don't tell me that you didn't know. You knew. You just were too self-absorbed to do anything. You just let them stay in their despair and walk towards death and destruction. So, during these 10 weeks, I, I want to give you some application. And we're going to give you the breakthrough challenge. So it's three big things that we're going to challenge you to do for the next 10 weeks. And by, by I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to ask everybody here to take the challenge. That's between you and God, whether you do or not. But I'm going to ask you to do it. Families, you can kind of, if you've got kids, you can bring them along in this as well. That would be awesome. Everybody can be part of this. So here's the challenge. Number one, read one proverb a day starting May 1st. Here's how it works. May 1st, you read Proverbs 1. May 2nd, you read Proverbs 2. May 3rd, read Proverbs 3. You see how this is going? May has 31 days. Proverbs has 31 chapters. Works out perfectly. June, start all over. You got to read two chapters at the end, I think. So um, on that last day. But it's a beautiful habit. And I know some of you have this discipline that you do this already. And every day of your life, you read one proverb. That's a beautiful discipline to get into. We want to ask you, um, which day is May 1st? In a couple days, Wednesday, is that right? So we're going to all start Proverbs chapter 1 and, and, and read that. And we're just going to go through every day. If you miss a day, we're not going to you know, beat you up or um, accuse you of anything. We're, we'll just jump right back on and, and get it the next day, okay? So that's, that's, that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is to ask God repeatedly for wisdom. If you have a prayer list, this goes on your prayer list. If you need to put it on a mirror, on the refrigerator, uh, on your Bible cover, on your table, whatever you need. If you need to set a reminder in your phone, maybe you set a reminder in your phone about this breakthrough challenge. And that would be incredible. So every day we say, God, would you please give me wisdom? God, would you please give me wisdom? Would you please give me wisdom? And, and I think before you go and you uh, maybe have a difficult work assignment or you're walking into school, students, as you're, as you're walking in before you open that door, God, please give me wisdom today. Uh, before you have, uh, uh, go over to a neighbor's house or you're walking down the street and you might meet somebody, God, give me wisdom. We just begin this habit of asking for God's wisdom over and over. Challenge number three, invite people to be part of your life. Invite people to be part of your life. And here's how I want you to think about this, um, that we don't do this thing in isolation. And I think you have to kind of rail against a lot of our instincts and habits and cultural trends to just kind of do things by ourselves. But we want to war against that because that's where the Bible leads us and pushes us, and that's why we need each other. And so I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by this challenge. I want you to first think, what are some normal rhythms of our life? Like maybe on Thursdays, you always cook at home. So if that's a rhythm of your life, could you invite somebody over once or twice a month on a Thursday? That's not like going to disrupt your whole world, right? It actually is just going to bring somebody into your life. So maybe there's a neighbor. Um, and maybe there's somebody from church here. Maybe there's someone that doesn't have family. Maybe there's someone you want to listen to their wisdom for a dinner. And you just want to ask some questions and listen. Maybe they're a little farther along in life than you and farther along in wisdom than you. So find ways. Maybe Saturday afternoon, you're going to go to the park. Can you invite another family? Maybe another person? Maybe somebody that wants to go on a walk with your family? Can you do that? What, what are just the normal rhythms of your life and how can you invite people into them? Because hospitality is what we're after here. 
And hospitality is when someone feels at home in your presence. Okay? It don't, don't get too caught up in your house. Think about your heart. It's, about, it's a heart issue. It may not even involve your house all the time. Uh, but it involves your heart saying, how can I care for someone? And I just want to say a word here to our culture. If somebody invites you, respond to the stinking invitation. Like that day, it is killer to put your heart out there and say, hey, would you like to come and do dinner with us? And then just crickets, you don't hear anything back. I think that's part of why our culture isn't hospitable anymore. Because we've gotten rejected so many times, we're just like, forget it. So, we're going to all be a little vulnerable here, right? By inviting people, again, maybe not like a mass text to a million people, don't overwhelm yourself. Invite one family or one friend or one neighbor, one person. Find a way that you can invite them into your life in some way. Start really small. And when somebody invites you, if there's any possible way you can say yes, say yes. If you can't, at least quickly say, I can't this day, but we would love to whenever. Okay? We all have responsibility in this. So God doesn't want you to live in despair. But if you are there, he understands And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus, is we have a God who understands despair because he was there on a cross and he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the words of somebody in despair. And because Jesus entered despair, ultimate despair on the cross, you don't have to be stuck there. And if you've never said yes to Jesus Christ We want to invite you to do that. If you want some folks to pray with you even this morning, uh, during this next song, you can come up to these front rows, or once the song is over, you can just come on up as people are dismissed, and there'll be some folks that would be glad to pray for you here even before you leave today. We'd love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. If you would, would you stand up? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for coming to us so that we don't have to be stuck where we are. And we pray that, that we can take these steps towards a breakthrough in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.